Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. We enter into another time of worship together. Let's invite him down this morning. Father God, would you pour out your anointing in this place, Lord? God, won't you come and have your way, Lord?
gonna get into this message today. Um, I have loved Love Strong so far, our Love Strong Sundays, focusing on relationships, putting, yeah, and they've been great. Come on, put your hands together for our team. They've done a fantastic job putting a premium on relationships. Today I'm excited. I wanna talk about a couple of issues with marriage and dating, and I get a lot of dating questions. People wonder a lot about dating. There's all kinds of issues in our world right now, people struggling with their sexuality, people kind of putting dating and romantic relationships at a premium higher above any other relationships and kind of idolizing those things like we do in Western culture. And I think there's a lot of questions that people have in a modern world, especially with stuff like TikTok, where you look online and every kind of imaginable thing that you can think of is right there. Uh, no one really gives their reasoning or their logic for why they're doing what they're doing. They just do it because it's kind of become popular in our world to create your own truth, uh, your subjective truth, and kind of ignore the objective truth that we find in God's word. But as Christians, we build our lives on the objective truth. You say, well, what is that? Well, that means it's just the kind of truth that really doesn't change in, with time. It's something that's empirically true for every single person in the world. We find that kind of objective truth in the Bible. And I really encourage you as your pastor, today, do not take a look at what the Bible has to say and say, well, I mean, maybe that applied but you know, a long time ago, but just things are different now because we tend to believe in so many ways that we're smarter than prior cultures that we're better than prior cultures, I almost would venture to say, be careful. My wife and I were talking about this yesterday. Be careful that we don't become dumber than prior cultures. Does anyone else worry that sometimes because you have like Google in your hand that you might be dumber than you were when you were like 15, like you're older like me? It's like, I used to know more things. I used to have phone numbers memorized. Anyone old like me that you remember, you remember everybody's phone number? You, you just rattle them off like that. I don't even know my own phone number right now. It's like struggling. It's like it's all right there in your phone. So in the same kind of way that we change and we become more reliant on technology and things like that to get answers, I think we spend less and less time spiritually wrestling with big truths. And we just kind of take what we see and we take someone that sounds like they know what they're talking about or looks like their life is together or has got 10 million followers. Like, well, they must know what they're talking about. People are following them. And so we put a lot of, we give a lot of credence to voices that really shouldn't be leading anyone. And we should be led, those that are called the sons of God, they're, they're led by the Holy Spirit. We should be led by the Holy Spirit in everything we do. We should be led by God's word in everything we do. So today, I'm just gonna take some ideas about marriage, about dating, about relationships. And, you know, I think, here's another thing I wanna say before I do this, is I think that we live in a kind of world where we're getting so used to these sound bites that we want people to, I don't want to read the Bible. I just want you to tell me what it says. Uh, just tell me what it means. I don't want to read the contract. Just explain to me that I'm not, I'm not a lawyer. I can't read that contract. Just give me the, the bullet points. Is that the kind of church we should have? Should we have a bullet point church? Or should we have a church that's actually based on the thing that we're saying that we build our lives on? You can never have too much of God's word. If you get to the point where you become tired of hearing God's word, that should be a heart check. We need to love God's word. We need to crave God's word. We need to know that we can't live, like I can't live a day without Oreos, but I can't live a day, a minute without God's word. I can't live one minute without God's word. I need it in my life for survival, like I need air, like I need sun. I need God's word. And so today, I think the best way that we can address a lot of these issues that confuse people, and, and we've got a lot of confused people, um, We've got confused people with relationships who don't want to date or marry someone that has the same values as them. Now we know that God, aren't you glad that God can bless broken things? I'm glad that God can bless broken things because I've made a lot of bad choices in my life and I'm grateful that he can take that brokenness and bless it. 
But just because God can bless broken things doesn't mean we should make broken choices. And I think that that's sometimes our excuse is we go into something and we know in our soul, we know in our spirit, it's the wrong choice. We know I shouldn't be dating him. I shouldn't be dating her. And we know that in advance. Why? It's pretty basic stuff. We know these people don't share the same values. The Bible says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. What fellowship does light and darkness have? It's pretty simple. In relationships, even friendships, if you're building covenant relationships with people that don't have the same values as you, what's gonna happen when you get in a disagreement? They're gonna be coming at you from their perspective, and what is their perspective? I don't have an objective truth. Whatever I think is what happens. You're coming from the place of trying to live a godly life, a biblical life, so why make broken choices? Isn't it interesting that when we find people that are incarcerated, have an, it's a 90% chance that they had a family member that was incarcerated. People that are divorced, there's a 90% chance that they had a family member that was divorced. People that have substance abuse, 90%. It's almost always right in that area. People that struggle with things have people in their life that struggled with similar things. What does that mean? It means that God can bless anything, he can break anything, but we can't make broken choices and expect our life not to end up in a broken way. And we have a broken culture that says, do whatever you want, date whoever you want, be whoever you think you are. And, and it just leads to brokenness and we get down the road and we wonder why our lives are so messed up. We don't even think twice about divorcing someone. Why? Because we think to ourselves, this is the way we think. In the back of our mind, we're like, well, my parents were divorced and they had me and then he met someone and she hasn't met anyone yet, but they get along and they're great friends and they write on Instagram that they will always love each other. So it must be okay, I'll be fine, we, I can do this. Yeah, I'll just find someone. And, and we make these broken choices because we come up with all these reasons why it can possibly work instead of realizing that the Bible says that there are some different types of wills of God. There's the good, the, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God. I want the perfect will of God from my life and my relationships. Can someone say amen today? So Matthew, I'm just gonna have you keep playing. Uh, Kyle, you're just, you're just doing a good job up there today, so you just got to keep holding it down. Uh, you can sit down in between services, bro. You're so strong and so big and so tough, and you're just, you're just great. How about, how about a big hand for Kyle? This man. One of the best guys I know right there. All right, so Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 through 12. Um, I am so surprised with the clarity that Jesus gives in this answer for modern culture. I'm, I'm blown away at the clarity he provides. Uh, why do we ignore this clarity in modern culture? He breaks it down directly. The Pharisees came to him and said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Because back then it was, it's, it's like, oh, I didn't like the way you looked at me. I divorce you. And that's the, way it, <laughs> that's the way it was going back then. So they said, is it lawful? And Jesus said, Have, first of all, this is a great question. Haven't you read? Look at someone next to you and say, haven't you read? It's a big question. We should know this stuff for ourselves. We should be reading it for ourselves. He says, haven't you read? that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. You don't, you're not trying to make a political point when you read the Bible that the creator made them male and female. God made, so first of all, he's saying, before we have discussion about marriage, let's just define some basic terms here. Male and female, and who made them? The creator, God, and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. So we're seeing a relationship here, father and mother and a man, and until the moment where the man goes out and finds a wife, he's still covenantally in this relationship under his parents. It says, but for this reason, which one, marriage, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. This is marriage, the covenant of marriage, which God instituted. I'm just reading here. I'm not adding a bunch of stuff. 
It says, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Listen to this. Therefore, what God has joined together. Who joined them together? The pastor, the priest. No, no, no. The rings. No, the wedding night. No, God joined them together. It says, so let no one separate. Whoa, what a huge take on marriage from who? Jesus. That's huge, letting us know that marriage is this unbelievably special earthly relationship between a man that God created as a man and a woman that God created as a woman. They have a special relationship that God chooses to unite them in this covenant that is for life that no one should separate. It doesn't matter if she rolls her eyes at you or not. It doesn't matter if he is ignored your birthday. It, it, it doesn't matter. Now, those things that matter when it comes to what God joined together, let no one separate. Listen to this. He goes on. I'm not going to get in tons of detail, but I want to show you the clarity with which Jesus asks, answers this simple question. It's, so these people, <laughs> these people are listening. He says, why then did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus said, hey, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. It wasn't God, it was you. He was saying, Moses basically was trying to manage uh, over a million people that had hardened hearts and he had to figure out a way to deal with it because you were the ones who didn't want to humble your own heart. Look at someone next to you and say, don't have a hard heart. It's telling us that divorce is a result of a hard heart. It means that you, someone has not yielded. They have kept a hard heart. That's the reason why divorce was ever even permitted, not allowed by God, but permitted by Moses. It says, I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another woman, commits adultery. Now that's, that's a very intense, powerful statement. It stands on its own. I'm not gonna try to apologize for it. I will say that that tells you that if, if your divorce is for something other than adultery. If it's just for personal preference, you got a problem. Um, th th that's a big deal. You, you haven't seriously considered what the Bible has to say about marriage. Okay, now this is discouraging to the disciples because they're like, yo, this is crazy. This is like the standard for this is so high. It says the disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it's better not to marry. They're basically saying, if that's really what you're saying, that I have to stay with her, through everything she's doing when there's other girls in town that would be proud to have me as their husband. I have to stay with her when I don't like her attitude. I have to stay with her. He said, if that's better, I, I just would rather not be married. And Jesus said, hey, not everybody can accept this. He don't back off. He don't say, no, please, please get married. No, he don't do that. He said, hey, it's you're right. Some people cannot handle the biblical concept of marriage. So what they will do is they will get in an unbiblical marriage or set unbiblical standards for their marriage. And what is the biblical standard? Someone is born as a man, born as a woman, married together in a godly covenant for life. Till death do us part. That is the biblical standard for what marriage, and that marriage is supposed to be an institution that glorifies and honors God in every way. That's the purpose of it. That's why he told Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. Honor me by growing this family. Honor me in your relationship till death do you part. And he goes on. This is crazy. I cannot believe. Once again, this is unbelievable. He says, not everyone can accept this, but only to those whom it has been given. It means it's a gift that's given to you by God. Marriage. Then he goes on to talk about some super controversial stuff. He said, for there are eunuchs. What is a eunuch? In the Bible, someone that was castrated. or So it's one way to say they are sexless. They're people that, that cannot reproduce or have sex because they've been castrated. A lot of kings would make a eunuch to run the affairs of their house so they wouldn't be sexually interested in the queen or someone else. Basically, they, they wouldn't have to worry about them was the thought process. That's not exactly how it works. But so Jesus now turns the subject to people who have confusion because sexually they're, they've, they're not a man, they're not a woman, they've lost 
the ability to reproduce. It's a very complex, layered issue, but this is not complex in layers where he says, some were born that way. So that means that there are some people that are born with a particular disposition or a particular way that is not traditional. It says there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. It wasn't their choice, or maybe it was their choice, but it was just done by others. And then it says a third kind of way. It says, then there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. So now in this one question that they've asked him, Jesus has offered the biblical view of marriage and then some other view that has to do with physical limitations or something that was put on someone physically that's caused them confusion. And then a third category of people who choose not to be married, but to live like eunuchs. And what that means in living like eunuchs is mean they're not going to be married, but they're gonna be single for the sake of the kingdom of God. Wow, what an answer. What a very modern answer to a very old question that Jesus just nails this. So I think it's interesting here. I just wrote a couple of ideas down about Matthew 19, three through 12, which I just read. Here's some ideas that I had. Number one, it's predicated on whether we are born male and female. That's not me trying to make a point. It's reading. It's, that's literally what it says. Number two, two become one. Three, it's the reason you leave your family for a higher level of intimacy and commitment. Number four, it's a covenant that God ordained. God made marriage. He defined it and he made it. This was made before the US Constitution, right? This is made before America existed. It is made before Western culture and civilization was, was developed. It's a covenant. Uh, number five, it's permanent and should not be separated. Number six, it's a calling. Not everyone is called to it. These are things that we need to understand and know about marriage. I, I would also like to say, that Genesis 1:26, marriage represents God. It says, and God said, let us make man in our image after our own likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, the cattle over all the earth, over every creeping thing. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. He blessed them. God said, be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Satan hates marriage because it's the image of God on the earth. Satan didn't attack Adam by himself. He waited until marriage existed. And I think it's important to realize that marriage is a testimony of God's goodness. So, so single people, you're here and you're thinking, well, what does this mean for me? It just means pay attention to what the Bible says about marriage. Let, let the Bible shape your opinions and your views on what you are looking forward to someday. If that's what you're looking forward to and you're praying for that and believing for that, let the Bible shape your opinions on what marriage should be. Uh, do not let Netflix shape your opinions or TikTok shape your opinions on what marriage should be. They're wrong. That's why all the people that are making those shows, you can look on any app any day, they're all getting divorces. Their lives are all falling apart. They're on their seventh and eighth marriage. They're doing this and that, trying to make themselves happy. None of these people are happy. Why? They're telling fairy tale stories about things that don't work. We have the truth of what we know works. Here's another thing. This may not sound hot to you, but it's powerful. <laughs> marriage represents Jesus and the church. He's the one that used the analogy. Revelation 19, six through nine says, then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like a roar of rushing waters, like a loud peal of thunder shouting hallelujah for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come. Jesus is the lamb, by the way. And his bride has made herself ready. The church, we are the bride of Christ. That's an analogy that is pointing toward heaven to show the long-term commitment that Christ, the husband, has for the wife, which is the church. That marriage is the thing that is used to represent the faithfulness of God. Can you imagine Jesus looking at us one day and say, I just wanna let you know really quick, I've fallen out of love with you. I still love you. But I'm not in love with you. Whatever that means. 
Can you imagine how we would feel? We'd be like, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, we wouldn't even know what to do. But that's absurd to imagine Jesus. Jesus, the most faithful one ever. It's absurd to imagine him saying, I just not in love with you. But marriage is the example that's used here in Revelation. It says the bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given for her, her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. 2 Corinthians 11.2 says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. That the church, you say, well, why is this important? I just want a hot girl. Hold on for a second. The, the reason this is important is because we get a picture of how God views commitment. He's trying to comfort us that we don't have to worry about Jesus walking out on us. He's committed long-term, so how does, Jesus, how does God comfort us to let us know we don't have to worry about Jesus walking out on us? He uses the idea of marriage. What does that tell me? It tells me that when I think of marriage, I should think of it as something that doesn't evaporate overnight. That you don't go watch a movie or read a book and come back and say, look, I, I'm, I'm not in love with you anymore. I love you. It just, it's, not, it's not the way it should work biblically. All right, so that's powerful. I mean, Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. You're reading a lot of scripture, and I will continue to do so. Uh, Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. So we see a biblical picture that in this analogy of Jesus being married to the church, there's different roles. Jesus is the head. We are submitted to him, but we are in relationship. It says, now as the church submits to Christ, also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, but love her as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Now, it's not very easy for a wife to submit to a husband that doesn't love her the way Christ loved the church. Husbands, if you want to have a godly relationship, you have to submit to God and submit to your wife by loving her and demonstrating Christ-like qualities toward her on a regular basis, the way Jesus did toward the church. In the same ways, husband ought to love their wives as their own bodies, and you know, we love our bodies. We look in the mirror, we try to see if our tricep is visible in, in the mirror. The, the way that you love your own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one has ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife. The two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Uh, you know, don't take the things out of that that you want. Like, see, submit to me. See, you, you're not acting like Christ. No, no, this is a mutual thing. Can I get an amen from someone that's alive here today? This is a mutual thing that's honoring in both ways and takes an insurmountable amount of work in both ways. But it's, 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 a, beautiful, uh, it's a beautiful giving and taking together that builds something wonderful. Now, here, here, so I, I wanted to just give a, an overview and, I, and it's like, well, that's for married people. No, that's for everyone to understand what the Bible has to say about marriage. I hope you're getting the feeling today that marriage is important to God. That that biblically marriage is an is so important. It's not some flippant thing where you know where you know you're just sitting in a restaurant one night and someone looks beautiful and go, "You know what? Marry me." It's not it's not like a spur of the moment thing where you, if you haven't put the time in and you're like, "Oh, that's so sweet." No, that's broken. That's broken. If you haven't built it on the right foundations, it's broken. You know, here's something that is interesting. Marriage is a calling. It's a gift, as, as we have read, that, that some people have that gift. Some people have that calling. Others do not. And that doesn't define you if you're not called to be married. I'm going to read that scripture in just a moment that says exactly that. I want to encourage you in that today. Your marital status does not define you to God. 
Uh, God made you who you are. He made you in his image. You, you are special because he made you that way. You have purpose because he deposited that in you. So we, you know, weeding through all this difficult and navigating through all this difficult stuff when it comes to relationships, dating, marriage, all this stuff, it, it, it's challenging for all of us. But as long as we have a, a concept of what marriage is supposed to be, then we realize that even married people are supposed to love one another. The community of believers, the community of people around us, that doesn't, it doesn't preclude us as married people from loving people effectively. And I think sometimes you can even get people who are married who worship their marriage. And they wanna show love and kindness to their spouse, but they wanna ignore everyone else and leave everyone else out. And that's not even that, what marriage is supposed to be. So I, I think that's a really important thing that, to remember John 15, when Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Jesus is saying, the Father demonstrated love toward me. Now I'm going to demonstrate love toward you. Now you demonstrate love toward one another. You know what it means? It means be the best friend you can be. Love your friends. Think of your friends before yourself. Practice God's love on everyone you meet. You don't have to say, well, I'm just waiting for my person. I'm just waiting for my person. Well, you know, can you just dispel that idea for just a second and realize you've got a lot of persons that are around you right now and you don't need to marry all of them. The point is you need to show godly love toward all the people that he has put in your life. We practice and refine our skill set of loving by loving everyone around us. That's what the Christian's life is about. It's about loving everyone around us. And if you're married, that just means one more additional person with a unique type of relationship that you would never have with anyone else. But other than that, you're supposed to continue loving everyone as Christ has loved us. Can someone say amen today? It says, you know, I've told you this so that my joy in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is to love each other as I've loved you. Greater love has no one this than he lays down his life for his friends. So true love is sacrificial. I'm just telling you, young ladies that are in here today, you got some guy that's sending you heart emojis before you've even seen his heart for Jesus. You haven't even seen him demonstrate his heart for Jesus, but he's comfortable sending you heart emojis. We need to back up for a minute and realize that true love is not sending you something so they can get something from you. It's building a relationship with you so they can pour something godly into your life so that they can be there for you in your life and deposit something powerful and substantive spiritually in your life as a friend. We need to learn how to be better friends. Can someone say amen? I mean, this may come as a shock if you're not married and you, you think that marriage is gonna solve everything for you. I got news for you. Your spouse, you better hope, is your best friend. That's really the primary relationship that you have is becoming the best friend to one another that you can possibly be. We have to learn how to be best friends. So, so marriage is friendship, but it's friendship on a completely higher level, you know, that one relationship. But that means we need to learn how, how to be great friends with everyone. Here's a, here's a, a super overlooked uh, scripture. You should write this down and really study this. First Timothy 5, 1 through 2. I love this. I think this is one of the big keys that we miss about relationships in general, especially as Christians. It says this, don't be harsh or impatient with an older man. Talk to him as you would your own father. Now, real quick, if you're here saying, it doesn't say don't be harsh to old women so I can be mean to them. No, just can you relax for a second? That's not what it means. It, it basically is teaching us if someone is older, whether they are a man or a woman, in Christ, treat them with dignity the way you would treat your father or your mother. Does that make sense to everyone? Okay, listen what the next thing says. Talk to him as you would your own father and to the younger men as your brothers. Reverently honor an older woman as you would your mother and the younger women as sisters. What does this tell us? It tells us that we need to be focusing on our life 
treating one another as familia. We need to think about family in everything we do. Am I treating this young lady that is my, my same age, am I treating her with the kind of dignity that I would treat my sister? Am I looking out for her? Or is it, oh, somebody looks good today. I mean, well, I mean what, if you say that to your sister, you need therapy. <laughs> this is not the way we treat our families. We treat our families and our daughters and our sisters with, and our brothers with honor and dignity. So if you want to learn how to be the kind of spouse someday, if God has called you to be a spouse, then learn how to treat family with dignity and honor, people with dignity and respect and honor. We can practice this right now without ever even knowing who our person is. We can practice it at all times. And I, I think it's a very overlooked idea because it's so missional. You know, if you're someone that God has not called to be married, maybe, maybe singleness is something, the gift of singleness. I'll read a scripture in a moment to tell you that singleness is a gift. Marriage is a gift, but singleness is a gift. Then this is the, the, this is the goal and the purpose of, of relationships is to build powerful family relationships every day with every single person you meet, specifically your brothers and sisters in Christ. But 1 Corinthians 7 says this, I, Paul is just funny here. Paul is single, and I like the way he starts this uh, verse. He says, sometimes I wish everyone were single, like me. A simpler life in many ways. He says, but celibacy is not for everyone any more than marriage is. God gives the gift. Read that with me, just so you know I'm not making this up. God gives the gift of the single life to some and the gift of the married life to others. Is singleness a gift from God? Is marriage a gift from God? It, does it sound like he thinks one is better than the other? You're wrong. He does sound like, he, he says singleness is better. Paul's a, Paul says, I wish you guys could be as disciplined as I am. But for those of you that have to get married, so for those that are single, you shouldn't feel like you're missing out on something if you're called to the single life. Because even Paul here says, look, I, I'm just going to tell y'all straight up, it's, I couldn't deal with being married. He said, I couldn't deal with it. I couldn't go where I wanted to go. I couldn't preach where I wanted to preach. I couldn't wear. That don't match. I don't care because I'm single. I'm not even looking for nothing. I'm just trying to preach. Paul says, I, I, I think it's way better to be. I get all my money. I, I ain't got to worry about sharing none of that with nobody. I get to do whatever. I, Paul, Paul said, it's easier. It's easier. So it's a gift. It's a gift to some, married to others. He says, I do, though, tell the unmarried and the widows that singleness, singleness might well be the best thing for them as it has been for me. But if they can't manage their desires and emotions, which he says that some people probably need to get married because they can't manage their desires. They can't manage their emotions. He says, by all means, go ahead and get married. The, I love what he says right here. This is so good. He says the difficulties of marriage are preferable by far to a sexually tortured life as a single. What I love is he didn't say, there's no problems in marriage. He said, you're gonna be, you got problems either way. You either have problems wishing you were having sex all the time and you're not married, or you're gonna have problems in marriage. Why? Because you got two humans. That's what happens when two humans are around each other all the time. You're gonna have problems. He said, we never argue. No, you're a good liar. <laughs> you're a good liar. There's, there's problems either way. Paul even knew this. He knew it, and that's why he said it. And I love this. He says, if you're married, stay married. This is the master's command, not mine. If a wife should leave her husband, she must remain single or else come back and make things right with him. And a husband has no right to get rid of his wife. It's so important for us to hear this today. It's so important for us to hear God's will on marriage. And... I'm going to skip down to, to 17, verse 17. I love this so much. This is, this is powerful. For all you single people in the room, all you married people in the room, this is wonderful. Don't be wish. I'm reading it directly from the message version. It says, don't be wishing you were someplace else 
or with someone else. Can somebody at least say amen in, in between these two sentences? Where you are right now is God's place for you. Come on, say amen again. It says where you are right now. Oh, if I can just get her to go out with me. No, 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 just be quiet for a second. Where you are, where? Right now. Where you are right now is God's place for you. Live and obey and love and believe right there. God, not your marital status, defines your life. Don't think I'm being harder on you than the others. I give this same counsel in all the churches. That's Paul just basically saying, don't try to make this about that, that she was married to him and you just want me to come in and say this to fix that one problem. He said, no, I tell everybody this. This is universally true. I would just encourage you, please get in the word. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7 through 17. Digest that. Just, just read it this week. Get it in your spirit. And I, I kind of have some, you know, first of all, I would say this. If you're thinking about dating someone, uh, and they start calling you baby within the first month, just do not date that person. That's, that's, that's crazy right there. They don't understand development. That, that's just whack right there. Uh, we, we have to have people that we build on the, on the same foundation. If our foundation is Christ, another thing, if your family and your spiritual leaders and, and mature Christians that love you and care for you and have a relationship with God do not like the person that you're dating, that is a red flag. That is, it is very important that you use, uh, you know, in the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. It's really important in our, in our lives to realize that we have blind spots. We have blind spots. And if we see someone come in and, and it's like, everyone's like, yo, you need to watch out for this person. This person does not seem genuine. And you're like, you just don't like, you don't want me to be happy. It's like, no, 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 like. He was like chatting with another girl on Facebook last night. I saw it. You know, it's like, it's like we, we really need to stop being so defensive when it comes to the people that care for us and love us in our, in our lives. They're trying to protect us. And we need to listen to godly counsel. Now, don't listen to people that are manipulating you just because they have a specific person they want you to be with. That's different. You've got to use discernment in that way. But that's a red flag. I mean, Red flag is not even the word for trying to date someone that doesn't know Jesus and doesn't love Jesus. That's just not even on the table. There is nothing in the Bible that teaches us about that. Now, we do see people that are already together or married with someone. As a matter of fact, I skipped over a whole section in 1 Corinthians 7, not because I didn't want to read it, I just didn't have time. I think 12 through 14, which talks about Christians that are in mixed marriages of believers and non-believers and God ends up redeeming that non-believer through the Christian, not spiritually in terms of salvation, but the blessing on the marriage, that's possible. So I encourage you to read that. But before, to close that part of it out, got a couple minutes left here. I'm just gonna give you three tips uh, for, for single people in your relationships, how you can move toward a healthy view of what marriage is supposed to be. Here's the three words, discover, develop, and deploy. Discover, develop, and deploy. I think, no, first of all, when, now I'm just gonna read you really quick. I know this is gonna take some time, but I'm gonna read you right now every single scripture in the entire Bible about dating. I'm gonna read it right now, and then I'm gonna explain what discover, develop, and deploy is. Here we go. You ready? I just read it. That's every scripture in the Bible on dating. Every single one. There is no scripture in the Bible, zero, about dating. Because the concept of dating wasn't even invented till 120 years ago. As a matter of fact, when people started using that word dating, it was to describe a relationship with a prostitute. Dating is a massively modern invention and a massively modern concept that is not even a, a biblical concept. It doesn't mean if you do it, you're evil. It's just saying, please do not use the dating concept and the dating idea as a way to drive you toward marriage because it's really not written about in the Bible. The Bible doesn't talk about it. Now, the Bible does talk about some of the things I'm referring to right now in discover, develop, and deploy. I think when we look at that word discover, it's important to know in relationships in a general sense, on a personal level, I think discover, when you, 
when you're discovering about yourself. This is understanding yourself, understanding and discerning God's will in your life, including the qualities that you should be seeking someday in a spouse. It's about discovering God's purpose for relationships like you're doing right now. And marriage, reflecting on your character, on your faith, on what it means to be a godly partner. I talked about this a little bit, but what, what our family just walked through, the, the challenge that we walked through last year, um, do, do you know how low looking hot in the morning was on my scale uh, for, for my wife and her for me? Uh, you, you know how low on the scale of importance it was when we were walking through the kind of trial we were working, we were walking through? What was in fact high on that scale is our devotion to Jesus, our devotion to God, our clinging to the word of God as the ultimate truth, no matter what is going on. Our faith that we both have to lift each other up in our marriage relationship. Those are the things that rise to the top when you're going through a tough time. So personally reflecting on your character, developing your faithfulness, your role as a godly partner. And if it's in a relationship, the discovery phase of a relationship would be instead of seeking immediate romantic connections, you begin to focus on your relationship with God as friends, gaining a deeper understanding of, of, of that person's values, goals, their gifts. And, and I think this is powerful. This is like what I was talking about, brother and sister, learning how to honor someone and treat them as a human being. And in the discovery mode, you're also learning about someone. You need to learn about a person. You need to learn what's important to them, what they value. You don't just skip, I mean, can you imagine the one night stand, the hookup culture, going straight to the most intimate thing you could possibly do. It's like, oh, what's your middle name? That's, that's not the way it works. We have to go through a phase of discovery where we're taking time to investigate. And in our relationship, that's, you know, learning how to be a good brother, a, a, a good sister, learning how to, to honor and respect on that level. That's the discovery stage. Now develop in your personal life, develop the focus shifts to developing oneself as a godly individual and a potential spouse, cultivating Galatians 5 qualities, kindness, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, goodness, faith, temperance, all of those things in your life, like it's modeled in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. It's saying, I've met someone and I now am demonstrating the Christ-like qualities to show them that I am trustworthy, I am reliable. That's a little bit of a deeper step into the relationship. It's not just the discover phase, it's the development stage. And now that relationship is developing in the things of God. I think church is the perfect place to serve alongside someone in ministry, to work together, to see uh, how they engage with the things of God, to be presented with challenges and obstacles as opportunities to continue to develop your relationship as friends to a different level where you have some trust for their spiritual maturity. And then finally, actually I did write invest in, in, in the develop phase, uh, engage in community, get accountability together with leaders, get mentorship from others uh, that, are, that are wiser in the faith, uh, get advice from others. You're, you're now to the point where you're developing that relationship. That could even include preparation for marriage uh, through spiritual and emotional maturity or, or even some kind of counseling. And at this point, your romantic relationship is kind of becoming a path that eventually leads to that third one, which is deploy. And, and, deploy, and, and deployment in this context means actively stepping into a godly relationship with the intention of honoring God and discerning marriage. That's the godly final step where you say, hey, this is what we're doing. This is where it's going. We're not gonna you know, go to dinner and kiss and then just try to see what happens. That's not the point. The point is we're now going to, and, and our problem is that we love the notebook. We love, you know, Titanic, but that didn't end so well for Jack. I'll be honest with you. Uh, I, I think that that's the problem with most of our relationship is it, they just don't work out very well because we're not using the kind of biblical principles that I'm discussing to, to discover, develop, and deploy. And then I think at the deploy phase in a relationship, you start thinking of that other person before yourself. That's the point in the relationship where you're finally ready to be married or you are married. And now it's, I think of them before you prefer them to yourself. And then in the relationship here, intentions are fully clarified as marriage becomes the goal. 
It involves applying the principles learned in the discovery and development phases to a relationship, serving one another in love and seeking God's guidance together. It involves applying the principles that I just discussed uh, in every aspect of your life. And that might mean, you know, it probably is gonna mean you're married, but discover, develop, deploy. Why do we wanna skip to deploy so fast? It's, it's so much easier for everyone to just skip on over. And I just encourage you today, in your relationship, and you can even do this in friendships, obviously without the, the, the marriage part, but marriage, friendships are important to discover, develop, deploy, and a friendship would be a close covenant friendship with someone. But be careful as you develop your friendships to make sure you're intentional with that as well. You can get very hurt with sharing the deepest secrets that you have with someone you don't know. Haven't you ever been hurt by someone that you shared personal things with and they mistreated it or didn't value it? because you didn't discover, develop, and deploy. But in this kind of way, I think we build a safe way toward powerful and, and vibrant relationships. I hope you're encouraged today uh, by what we talked about on marriage and relationships at, at Love Strong. I'm believing that God is gonna strengthen our relationships at our church and we'll have a high view of marriage, the kind that God outlined in his own word. Hey, uh, could you bow your heads and close your eyes with me for just a second? If you're here and you do not know the Lord, I wanna give you an opportunity right now to know Jesus. He loves you, he cares for you. If you're watching online, I wanna give you an opportunity to know Jesus as well. He died on the cross, went to the cross in our place for our sins. As God, he is the only one who had the authority to take responsibility for our mistakes, to take them upon himself, to suffer the punishment and consequences that should have been ours and to say, I will take that upon myself and I will trade the righteousness that I earned. I will give them my righteousness in exchange for their sins. He's the only one that has the authority to do that. And when we put our faith in Jesus, it is at that moment that the Holy Spirit enables us to believe, to have saving faith when we believe and declare the name of Jesus. That's what I'm gonna ask you to do right now if you've never done that before. No one looking around when I count to three, if you need to declare the name of Jesus in your life, online in this room, online if that's you, I'll just ask you to type in the chat, I need Jesus in my life. If you're in this room, I'll ask you to lift your hand when I count to three. One, the Bible says now is the time of salvation. Two, I believe every person here has been drawn here by the power of the Holy Spirit for this moment. Three, hands up all over this building if that's you. Hands going up all over the building, every single section, hands being lifted. Praise the Lord. I believe people are lifting their hand online as well. Could you just repeat this prayer with me out loud? Say, I ask you, Lord, to forgive me of my sins. I put my faith in Jesus. Thank you for dying for me so I could have eternal life. I don't belong to the old life anymore, but I'm a brand new creation in you from this day forward. Redeem me, Lord, and I'll serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, could you give God a great praise today? This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.